you all for being here. And we are back in Romans. So if you want to turn to Romans 11. Romans 11 is uh, the third chapter in a discussion about Israel or the Jews. Uh, you can use both. That's usually how we do. <clears throat> the question you kind of come to by the time you get to chapter 11 is, has God forsaken them? Has God cast them off? A lot of people argue these points. Uh, had God replaced Israel with the church? Do we get all their promises then? God made promises. Do they, did they forfeit them and they, they come to us as a church? Is Israel a footnote in history now? It would seem like it's kind of pointing that way, kind of building off chapter 9 and chapter 10, kind of talking about their failures and their faults and, faults and how it's opened it up and, the, and the, the wave is pushing towards Gentiles now. But I want to chase a few verses through history first before we divide into this chapter. <clears throat> and let's turn to Deuteronomy. So Mark is parked there in, in Romans 11. Start in Deuteronomy. Um, I think it's important because God declares himself by telling us the future. It's the way he's chosen to show that he is. Now, he could have chosen anything in the world <clears throat> to display that he is God. He's chosen prophecy. I'll tell you in events before they happen. And then, I want to make sure I'm not a church that doesn't read the Old Testament, because the Old Testament's where those prophecies are made, so we can watch them be fulfilled. Matthew has all these references back to the Old Testament, because it's like, we were told this, you know, and it, it is a book written towards the Jews. It's showing them that it is fulfilled, and so I want to make sure that we get the impact of what Paul is going through as a Jew, uh, writing this letter to Romans, addressing both Gentiles and Jews about the, the Israel. And so we, we need to know these prophecies. We need to know what God has told them. And so uh, Deuteronomy 28, excuse me, verse uh, 64. Deuteronomy 28, 64. says, And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, for one end of the earth, even to the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord, have, but the Lord give thee there a trembling heart, and failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. And thou shalt fear day and night, and thou shalt have no assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God that were even. Oh, I wish it was nighttime. And then even you will say, Oh, I would God that it was morning. For the fear of the heart wherefore thou shalt fear, and for the sight of the eyes which thou shalt see. And so they're always going to wish for something they've just been through. I guess I was safer in the night. I wish it was daytime. Boy, I wish it was nighttime. You know, they just have this fear, this dread that's upon them. This, this is Moses' speech where Moses lays before the nation of Israel, before they go into the promised land, you can choose what you want. And this comes down to you and I as well. We can choose our future. You know, you reap what you sow. Now, we're to do things collectively as a church, but individually, you, you, you reap what you sow. Telling this nation here as a collective and as individuals, 
What are you going to choose? He puts before them blessings? God is a God who loves. God is a God who gives. God is a God who is good. He wants to bless you. And he tells you, excuse me, to choose blessing. He goes, because if not, if you don't choose blessing, your other option is curses. You want to choose cursing? Then he goes on and he tells them for 53 verses about all these curses. And we just kind of read the ending of this, you know, the things that will happen to you. And as you read, as I read that, I hopefully most of you know Jewish history enough to kind of map out in your mind. You're like, that has been their case. They've been pushed out of from one land to the next land, from one place to the other place, that they've never been comfortable. They've always been pushed down. They've always been persecuted. They've always roamed about, you know, that there's a fear to dread upon. Are you going to come for us? Is it going to be now? Is it going to be later? What, what's happening? It's fresh on our mind right now, right? Probably the most unsafe thing in the world right now is to be Jewish. You know, it seems like they're coming. God says here, I'm going to scatter you. You're going to serve other gods. You're going to find no rest. You're going to find no ease. You're going to be scared. Uh, look at Leviticus. I know that's to the left. I've usually try to keep them in order, but the way I wanted to read these work this way. Leviticus 26, 33. Leviticus 26, we'll start verse 33. We'll read about 11 verses here. Just, again, think of the, the plight of Jewish people. Leviticus 26, 33, it says, I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbath, as long as it lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land. Even then uh, shall the, uh, the land rest and enjoy her Sabbath. As long as it uh, lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbath when you dwelt upon it. Because they were supposed to. Every seven years, let it take a break. Verse 36. And upon them that shall... Uh, upon them that are let alive of you, I will send a faintness into their heart in the lands of their enemies, and the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee as fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when none pursueth. And so they're going to be scared to death. Any little noise is going to set them off. They're going to take off running. You know, they're just paranoid. Verse 37. And they shall fall one upon another, as it were, before a sword, when none pursueth, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And you shall perish among the heathen, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And they that are left of you shall pine away in their iniquity in their enemies' lands, and also in the iniquities of their uh, fathers uh, shall they pine away with them. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, that they also are walked contrary unto me. He said, I'm trying to get them to confess, you know, if they would do that, verse 41. And that I would also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies and their uncircumcised hearts uh, be humbled and they that accept the punishment of their iniquity. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember and I will remember the land and the land also shall be left unto them and they shall enjoy her Sabbath uh, while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall be accepted of punishment of their iniquity, because even because, uh, because, even because they despise my judgment, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. I'm not. Am I going to punish them? Yes. Am I going to turn my back on them and utterly turn my, throw them away? No. I will not cast them away. Neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly, 
and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. He says, I will not break my covenant because all those covenants that he made with them were all dependent upon God, not upon them and their obedience. And we need to praise God for that because that's the same way the covenant is with us. God carries the parts of it. We do nothing. We don't add to it. If we add to it, it can, it can be faulty. It can fail. But since God says it's all upon him, that he's the one who saves and completes that salvation, saves us to the uttermost, we can take confidence in that. And we have an example through Israel that he does that. He goes, no, I'm not going to utterly wipe them out. It may seem like it. It might look like it because they're stubbornness. But I'm not done. I won't cast them away. And I'm not going to utterly destroy them. And so he's not going to do that. Look with me uh, in Ezekiel. 22, Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 15, Ezekiel 22:15. he says, and I will scatter thee among the heathen. And disperse thee in the countries, and will consume thy filthiness out of thee. Ooh, that refiner's fire we sing about sometimes. And thou shalt take thine inheritance of thyself and thy sight of the heathen, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. He's like, I, I'm going to persecute you. Yeah, I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to try you in a fire. I'm going to like consume the, the filthiness out of thee, that's for sure. But I'm going to restore you. I will give you your inheritance. You will have it. Because I'm the God, I'm the Lord over all. I want people to know that. I'm the God who keeps his promises. I want them to see that. I want them to witness that. I want to put that on display, and I will use you to display my goodness, my faithfulness. I'm glad he does that. God does what he wants, keeps his promises. He can. It might seem like it's desperate, but God's like, I work best in that circumstance. I can pull it around. You'll know that it was me. On Wednesday nights, we're in Hosea. Let's turn there real quick. I'm going to be like Arby's. I'm going to throw an onion ring in your fry so you get a little taste of it so you want it next time. We're going to give you a little bit of Hosea here and now. Hosea 3, we're already past this. Verse 4. Chapter 3, he gives an overview of the nation of, of, of uh, the life of Israel. In Hosea 3, verse 4, he says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice without an image, without an ephod, and without a teraphim. He's like, they're gonna, not going to be organized. They're not going to have a flag. They're not going to have a country. They're not going to have a king. They're not going to have any priesthood. You know, he's going through all these things. There's not going to be a closeness with them, with their God. Verse 5, he says, but afterward shall the children of Israel return. He goes, I will return them. I will bring them back into their land and seek the Lord their God. Their heart will be changed. They'll no longer be secular. Right now, they're agnostic, secular uh, as, a, as a nation. That's what their number one um, religious status is, that they are agnostic. Uh, and so, But no, they'll turn their heart. They will seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. He goes, in the last days, I'll put them back in the land and I'll turn their heart around. They'll start seeking after me. Oh, last days. That starts peaking our ears up and we haven't even got started in Romans 11 yet. Because Paul is building towards some of the last days things as well. And then we happen to live in a time where Israel's back in the land and God is moving them in a mighty way. Um, spoilers, we're not to this in chapter 5 yet, Hosea chapter 5. But Hosea chapter 5 is a very key verse, I think, for us to know. Especially our church, because... Uh, I have an end times bent, if you haven't noticed. God, God has uh, uh, touched me with that. You know, that's just kind of what, he, he made my interest. I'm like Manny, uh, so I'm talking about hey, all the different things that God's put on my heart. I'm sorry, but that's what he's given me. And uh, 
but in Hosea chapter 5, he gives us the why Israel things. Why is Israel persecuted? Do you ever ask yourself, why them? Why? Why, why is such unrest for them? We, we've seen some. We've looked at a scripture that is there. Why are they so hated? Because they are. I mean, all through history, every culture, they can all agree on that. Who would have thought the Palestinians in China can get, get along? I wouldn't. I would think they would hate them. They're different. They just signed a treaty together. Hey, yeah, let's all hate the Jews together. Let's get in. You know, that, that seems to be uniting. That's crazy. Why are they so hated? I mean, Christianity is not exempt either, sadly. Very sadly. Um, they've been persecuted by the church as much as anybody. Um, uh, I think whole replacement theology is a persecution against them saying, no, God, God doesn't break his promises except with you. <laughs> you know, it's almost blasphemy to say that. I mean, God stakes his name and reputation on it. We just looked at a couple. I am the Lord. I will do this. I will not utterly cast you out. He tells us that. Romans goes through and says all these things at least twice. You know, no, he's not done with them. And yet this major church doctrine, a lot of churches, that God's done with the Jew. Martin Luther. Most of us don't know many people in Christian history, but we know Martin Luther. Lutherans, right? He wrote a book called On the Jews and Their Lies. He said, their synagogues and their schools should be burnt down. Their prayer books should be destroyed. Their homes should be destroyed. We should be able to take their money and their property should be confiscated to whoever can find them. Martin Luther said that. Uh, he said, we should show them no mercy nor kindness. I'm sorry, the Bible has a lot to say about how we're supposed to show mercy and kindness because mercy and kindness have been shown to us. Why the hatred towards them? He says we should give them no legal protection. They should put into for be put into forced labor and expelled from every country. He goes down too far to say that every one of them should be murdered. And he wrote, we are at fault and not slaying them. Martin Luther. This book was widely popular in a certain country. Anybody want to guess which one? Nazi Germany. Most people, when they came to a Nazi rally, carried a copy of this book with them. I mean, Martin Luther said this. It justified their action. They are hated of all most people. We should do this. They crucified our Lord. You want to know who crucified our Lord? I did. It was my sins that he died for. You want to blame somebody? Blame me. Did the Jews play their role? Yeah. They fulfilled scripture. It was there. This book that he wrote was used to justify the Holocaust. So we have to watch what we say. We have to watch how we react. Do I agree with everything they do as a political entity? No. But God tells me I'm to pray for Israel. I'm to bless those who bless them. I will curse those who curse them. I pray that God open their eyes. I pray that God will use them. I pray that God would show himself mighty through them. That he is doing so. So yeah, we... Pray for Israel. I'm on Israel's side. Like I said, on not every little decision. No. But hardly anybody I'm on that on. You know, but I, I'm to do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm to stand and I want them to get the gospel. That is for sure. So why are they so hatred? One, it's satanic. I could show you that in the Bible, but that would take most of my time. Um, two, it's their punishment and disobedience. We've looked at some of that. They are stiff-necked and they are hard-hearted. Their leaders even say so. Moses you know, says it. Jesus Christ himself said it. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times will I gather you like a chicken and want you under my wings, but you would not. And you stone and you kill the prophets that I send to you. And then he sends his own son and they kill him. 
Oh. So why? Promise of this. And it's going to get worse. It's not been, it's not been bad yet. It's going to get worse. You know, it seems worse. Uh, World War II, six million Jews were killed out of the 15 million that were there. Almost half, almost killed half of them. The Bible tells us it will be worse. In the tribulation, it will kill two-thirds. Two-thirds. In the 1940s, they, they took out almost half. But during the tribulation, they'll take out two-thirds. Hosea 5 gives us a why and when. So Hosea, Hosea 5 and verse 15 says, read this from the perspective of Jesus Christ. I will go and return to my place. First off, there's a lot in that one. To return means you left. So God had left heaven and came down here. He goes, I'm going to go, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to return again until some certain things happen. And so this is the wise. And so Jesus Christ came. We know that they rejected him. He turned. He says, I will stay there until these things happen. Till. This is, this is a change point in the verse. If you ever circle in your Bible, circle the till there. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their defense and seek my face. And in their affliction, affliction, they will seek me early. He goes, I'm going to stay there until you ask for me to return. Until you acknowledge what you've done. Until you acknowledge your offense. Until you see it. You humbly come before me and say, we have failed. We have rejected you, God. We did drop the ball on all this and we turned to our own way. And then they're going to seek for him and, and seek him and say, sorry, Jesus, that we cast you off. You are the Messiah. You are the Mashiach David. Please come and return and, and rescue us. Once they do that, then he'll come. And we'll flesh this, flesh this out on a Wednesday night in a couple of weeks. But this is the why. It's until God is waiting for them to repent and ask him. Now, his return is separate from the rapture. That happens before. Uh, but he doesn't come back to the earth. That's the second coming. Uh, in the rapture, we meet him in the air. The second coming, he comes down on the earth, and we are with him uh, as he sets up his kingdom. But he says, I don't come back until you ask for me to and until you acknowledge your offense. And we'll chase down those verses in Zechariah and other places when they finally do that at the end of the tribulation. So we've seen... Most every passage, it seems like this morning, where God says that he will scatter them, but we haven't. But let's look at one more in Isaiah 11, 11. Like I said, this, this is just a few. It's not all. But uh, Isaiah 11, 11. Isaiah 11, verse 11. He says, and it will come to pass on that day, making about the last days, that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Parthos and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. He says, I will regather them a second time. The first time was after the Babylon captivity. The second time happened, uh, I think it was like May 14th, 1948. Our lifetime now. They're back in the land. So key timing. Israel is called God's timepiece, if you turn back to Romans. God's timepiece. Where are they? What's God doing with them? How are they behaving? What's, what's their heart like? What's the action? What's the nation? How are they behaving? Right now, they're still secular. So we know that they won't come back for them until they turn spiritual and they begin to acknowledge their God and cry out after him. Right now, they're not trusting in God. They're trusting in their own strength. They are the superior military force in the world right now, and especially per size, you know, per, per, per capita. Um, they, they have a lot. They have a lot going for them. They are strong. We learned from them. You know, a lot of our fighting stuff, like and I mentioned on a Wednesday night, if you know, uh, I think it was, 
how they make us better. You know, they take the things that we develop and then they perfect them and they give us insights and understanding. But God will show himself to them. And it'll probably be through some humiliation on their part. So it makes me interested every time I see anything that goes on over there. Right now, they're not trusting in God so much as they are trusting in the Iron Dome. That's pretty impressive. If you've not watched it, I mean, they, Hamas or Syria or whoever launches in all these volley of missiles, and then this, <clears throat> the closest thing we would have to it would like the Patriot thing back during the Persian Gulf War, you know, where it could seek them out and it finds it and it blows them up in the sky. They've perfected it now that they've got a second unit called the Iron Beam that uses lasers, you know, because right now I forget how much it costs per missile to shoot down another missile, but now they have a heated laser beam that just this beam shines on them and triggers them and, and launches them off, you know, so sleep easy, you know, you're under the protection of the iron dome or the iron beam. What happens when that fails? What happens if all sides launch all at once? Can it keep up? You know, that's what they've tried overwhelming in the past, and, and now we have more and more nations saying they have no right to defend themselves, and the minute they ask for it, when you see the people marching for a ceasefire, that means they need to quit firing back, you know, we need, you need to let us hold them so we can beat them up, which is always a good fair fight. You know, but you know, we wouldn't tolerate that. I can't believe we'd ask for another nation to surrender yourself and lay down your arms and let people just overwhelm you. It's, it's ludicrous. Uh, we're watching, again, Clown World at a rapid pace. <clears throat> but, uh, but I think if, if something like that did happen, if that technology failed, which it did on October 7th a little bit, you know, they had sensors on that border wall uh, that Hamas took out, that they didn't have all the warning systems that they would have had in place before when they were able to go in and then mercilessly kill men, women, children. But I think if something like that was to come in and then God rescues them, maybe their hearts begin to soften. Wait a minute. God showed up in a big way. It wasn't our technology, it was the Lord. It's going to take hell on earth to get them to cry out. We know because we have the book of Revelation, we can read and see. And I think the rapture is part of that, that we're gone. You know, the spiritual awakening of the world, that something supernatural has just happened that begins to open their eyes, and maybe part of their protection in the battle will be part of that. And I can take that from Ezekiel 38 and 39 as well. But I think supernatural is coming on the forefront. Don't be shocked by it as you see it. But see, God approaches us through the ear and through the listening you know, he had ear to hear, let him hear. He doesn't say, he who has an eye to see, let him see. That's what the devil uses. And so watching out for these and testing all things, whether they come from God or whether they come from the Antichrist. And so we need to be on guard about that. Things are happening. But Paul is writing to Rome. And the church is made up of Gentiles and of Jews. And he reminds them what I just reminded you about. In verse 1, he comes to the conclusion, in case you think Brian's crazy. I got Paul on my side. Romans 11, verse 1 says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Is God done with the Jews? God forbid. It takes a lot to get Paul excited, I think. This does. He's like, you got to be crazy. No, God forbid. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. He uses the best example. He goes, is God, is God done with the Jews? God's using me right now as a disciple, as an apostle. Uh, he says, he's using me. I'm Paul. To your, I don't know. Maybe you don't know that. Paul's Jewish. You know, the disciples, Jewish. We laugh. My coworkers didn't know that at one point in time. 
You know, so we, we take for granted the things that we know because we're in it, but the world doesn't always know these things. No, Paul's Jewish. God didn't cast him away. He probably should have. You know, he was persecuting the church, right? But no, God pursued him. You know, why are you persecuting me, Paul? Turns his heart around. He cast all of his Judaism works that he had earned to the side, counsel was dung. God saved him. God used him. God's using him here this morning, even now, through this book. No, God's not done with Israel. God's not done with Jews. He's moving. He's working among them. I also want you to know what Paul does here. He's got the Old Testament all in his back pocket here that he can bring and drop against them. And I gave us some of that this morning so that we know and understand that this is co-aligning with Scripture. You know, this is prophecy that God has not done. God does not cast them away. God does and will restore Israel, and he'll put them to the place of prominence, and he will rule and reign over them. But the best argument that he gives right at the start here is his own testimony. He gives his own testimony. He tells his story. God's not done with me, and I'm Jewish. I'll even tell you my lineage. I'm an Israelite. I go back through Abraham. I'm in the tribe Benjamin. I always thought that'd be pretty cool to know what tribe you went back to. Most of them do. If you ask a Jewish person what tribe they are, they usually know. I've made it a habit. My dad kind of challenged me to do that once, and uh, we had some uh, army guys that were coming to uh, church over at New Life, and <clears throat> uh, I think he asked me first. I'm like, I think I was talking with him. I said, oh, I wonder what brother so-and-so, I wonder what tribe he's in. I know he's Jewish. And dad's like, oh, he knows. He's Benjamin. You haven't asked him yet? And so I'm like, well, I will. And so dad had. And so I'm like, yeah, I want to I find these things out. When I, I usually, if I know someone's Jewish, I ask them what tribe they are. So they usually tell him. He goes, I'm the tribe of Benjamin. And so, yeah, your story is there. Plus, if it comes down to witness encounter and you're like, oh, I can't remember. Is it John 3.16? Do I want to go to Romans 3.23? Is it, well, what, where do I go? Romans 6. What? Romans 6. Well, I don't have my Bible with me. Memorization is hard. I try to say things the same way, so at least if you can jump on the Brian train, you can be like, well, here's what Brian would say next. You can just kind of run that track because we've said it so often. You know, oh, you consider yourself a good person, you know, kind of go down that line. But when all else fails, you know your testimony. Share it. You don't have to remember it because you lived it, right? You don't have to remember the truth. You know, it's not something you memorize. It's something that happened. Share your testimony. Deliver it. That's the best witnessing tool. Paul does it often and, and shares it, so we can too. And so right here he's saying, look at me. Look at me. If you can tell your story, like I said, you don't have to remember any of the details because you'll have them right there. Um, verse 2. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not that the scripture saith of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars. And I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed, to the knee of the, bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Elijah thought he was all alone. Because when I'm up on this mountain, I didn't have a lot with me. Somebody killed those prophets, though, right? Some people raised up. As he runs and he hides and he's by the brook and he's eating raven food, he's like, let me die. He's like, you're not alone. I've got a remnant. God's like, I've got my people. I've got 7,000 who haven't built, bent the knee. That's pretty cool. God always has a remnant. You can chase that through Scripture everywhere. He's always got a remnant. He's always got somebody. There's always somebody that's there. Sometimes it's as few as eight in the days of Noah, right? You know, rescues eight. 
He's always got a few on that narrow road. He's got a few that's gone through that narrow path and down that way. He's always got them there. And God works good with the remnant. He works better with small numbers because he gets the glory than he does with big numbers. Satan always tells us that you're alone and that you're isolated. Who would stand with you? You're by yourself. God's abandoned. How dare you stand up and say anything? Look at all these people. He's a liar. He's a liar. You stand up. Then those 7,000 start coming out of the woodwork might stand with you. Well, I agree with that message as well. You know, I, so yeah, that's why we don't want to forsake the sibling of ourselves together. Because this is where we come and we tend to have a coal off by itself that dies away, that ember dies. We come back in and we catch on fire as we gather around one another. We get encouraged by one another. Don't stay isolated into yourselves. No, God keeps a remnant. They trust him. So we need to trust him. And he does a big thing through a few. Verse 5. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul says, even now in this day, it might seem desperate. We're running, we're hiding. You know, Paul's being persecuted. You know, he ends up going to Rome, but it's as a prisoner. And he goes, it might be that way, but God still has a remnant. There's a few that are here. God always has those that are his. Uh, I've got more, but time's gotten away. But I can end right there. Are you his? Are you a part of his remnant? Can God count on you? You stand up. Maybe he doesn't call you to be the forefront. Maybe you're not to be the Elijah out there saying, hey, maybe your God's gone on a long journey, you know, and antagonizing them, and, and then giving yourself the handicap of dig a trench around it and pour some water on top. You know, maybe you're not that guy. But maybe you're the one that comes around, that 7,000 that comes around to help afterwards. Because remember, when he gets done... The victor killed the other prophets, you know, and so there's 150 prophets of Baal. And so someone shot, maybe that's you. You come along and give the support to that ministry. That's what we're to do. So be support ministry. Or maybe sometimes we're to be the leader in our community. Who knows? But we're to be God's remnant. We're to be the loud voice. Let's not be fearful. Let's not be afraid to talk about the Lord. Let's not be afraid to give God credit where his credit is due. Let's not be afraid to be, say we're thankful for who he is and what he's done and for what others have done. We should show ourselves thankful. We should be thankful one towards another. We have missionaries coming tonight. We should love on them. They go down there on the front lines. And a lot of times it's like it's dangerous for them to go. It's dangerous to be there. It's dangerous for them to have stuff, you know, because this community gets overturned and overrun, and yet their heart is to be there. I think when it's worse down there, when their desire is to be there all the more, it seems like. Oh, it's dangerous down there. We've got to be there with our people. And then oftentimes they get down there and they're able to get through and go. Then we get a chance to love on them. They're the front lines of, at least to the, reaching the gospel to the Hades from our viewpoint. So we get to support them, encourage them, get to know them. The more you, better you know them, the better it is to pray for them, the better it is to have empathy for them. So we have that opportunity. We'll have, as uh, I think if the Burleys can make their way by, and we have other, others that get to stop in and we get the reports from them. We get to know them. We get to pray for them. You know, there's that remnant we're trying to win the lost. I think God is moving in the hearts of men for sure. We've seen it. You know, the devil's a liar saying that people don't want to hear it. People need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's share it. If you need him today, repent and trust in him today. Now is the time. This is the present. Repent and trust in him. And if you do know him, let's surrender to him all the more. Surrender control.